And so into the midst of our everyday, we pray that, that our eyes would be open, that, that we would see and hear you at work, making a way, redeeming and renewing the things in our lives, calling us forth to follow after you. Bless this time of study in the midst of worship, Open our ears and soften our hearts that we might see you more clearly. In your son's name we pray, amen. We've been in the midst of studying a letter that the Apostle Paul, you can maybe think of him as like a pastor in the first century. The Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth. So God used Paul's preaching and teaching to gather together this community of believers, and then he went off to do other ministries. And years later, a couple years later, they're writing, they're in conversation about what their lives are like and questions about their faith. And they're writing to one another, you know, like old school, right, with the paper and the writing implement, right? Because the Wi-Fi in first century Corinth was awful. So they resorted to this other arcane method of communicating. So Paul wrote, and the Corinthians wrote, and we have, by God's design, two of those letters contained in the New Testament. We're going to be studying the letter of 1 Corinthians, as we have been. And weekly, God is reminding us of the grace that he has for his children in Corinth and the grace he has for us. So we've seen in the midst of the mess in Corinth, and it was a bit messy, um, Paul and the church leaders, they were in debate. They were trying to figure some things out. And we've seen in the midst of that mess that God does not shy away. God's answer to the mess of life is grace. Unmerited favor. Isn't that a great phrase? God doesn't shy away from the mess or the conflict or the difficult times, but God meets those moments with grace and love, forgiveness and peace. And God is the same from those early days of the church in Corinth until this very day. As a community within the church in Elkhorn, we too wrestle with the reality of what it means to belong to God. As each of us lean into that, and try to figure out every day what it means for who we are and how we live in our homes, in our church, and in our community. There are times it can be a mess. Again, God's answer to that mess is unmerited favor, God's grace. He doesn't shy away from our mess, but he meets those moments with grace and love, forgiveness and peace. So again, we join our first century sister church, kind of huddle around the edges as we listen to see what Paul has to teach today. And this text is a little interesting. It gives us a glimpse into their culture. And so grab your Bibles or open the Bible app and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read the text and then we're going to review the text to get a better picture of what's going on. 
So we're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 8. While you find that text, a reminder of part of the struggle that Paul and the church in Corinth are, are working through. The people in the church in Corinth prized knowledge. And knowledge is a good thing. We're, we regularly spend time trying to figure out how what we believe impacts how we live. We're going to have that very conversation at 1045 during deep dive. All by itself, knowledge is not a bad thing. But the church in Corinth had decided that knowledge was the thing. This was the ticket. This was the prized possession. And if you knew enough, well, then you didn't really need the gospel anymore. You could find ways to reason around it. How the church in Corinth was using their pursuit of knowledge was more like a weapon. They would figure it out and kind of use it to get their way or use it to legitimize their own desires and actions. And often what would happen is this would be to the detriment of other people in the church. And that is where Paul has an issue. First, in using knowledge to set aside the gospel. And secondly, to using this knowledge to hurt our brothers and sisters. So this pursuit of knowledge had kind of gone sideways for the church in Corinth. In the midst of that larger debate, Paul is going to take another specific situation and we're going to come alongside and listen to. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, you know, that thing that affects you and I know, right? That's the weird thing that we don't have any real connection with. But we'll get there. He says, now concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. This is a saying that the Corinthian church would often use. But knowledge, Paul says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not know yet as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that all idols, an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, you see the quote marks, right? So it is like, not sarcastically, but many people think there are gods and lords. For us, Paul says, in the church, for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols 
that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it and no better if we do. So be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to an idol? So then that weaker brother or sister from who, for whom Christ died is destroyed, is harmed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like I said, the specifics of this particular situation, right? Sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense to me. And sometimes you read the Bible and you wonder, what? So we're going to take a moment and we're going to try to figure out the setting so that we can get a better picture of what our brothers and sisters in Christ were walking through on a daily basis. So then we'll understand what it was like for them. And I'll ask the question of what it might be like for us. So let's take a moment, take a look at this first century situation. Pastor Tom pointed out in his introduction to this series that the city of Corinth was a thriving, diverse crossroads of the ancient world. And the diversity of cultures brought a diversity of spiritual expression as well. So for us, we might have an understanding of our Jewish ancestors' worship. They would meet in the synagogue, right? And we might have a, a picture of what it was like for the early Christian church. But to add to these that we might understand, there were more. There were a variety of worship spaces dedicated to idols and other gods where people would gather in some of those temples, a part of their worship life centered around an animal sacrifice. So some portions of that animal would be used in worship. Some would be used as a part of a community meal, sometimes as a part of their worship. And the rest would be sold in the market. So this was like first century butcher shop, right? They'd use what they needed for worship, They'd have their shared meal together in the temple, and then they'd sell the rest. That's the picture. Does that kind of flush that out a little bit? That's what's going on. And now, consider that much like today, the people who lived in Corinth were also very diverse. Some people didn't do any of that stuff. That was not a part of their lives. Some people worshipped in one of the various temples, though. Maybe some people worshipped in the Jewish synagogue. But worship in these temples, 
in this diverse spiritual landscape, with this background and history and all these, these understandings of what it takes to become acceptable to God, into the midst of that setting, Paul came and preached the gospel. He told them they were sinners and that while they were sinners, Christ died for them. He proclaimed that God, their creator, was calling them back into relationship with him. We have this snippet out of Acts 13, Paul speaking to another community, the Jewish synagogue in Cyprus. But Paul proclaimed the gospel this way. Here's a part of it. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Christ, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain by the law of Moses. That was the invitation. What you can't do yourselves, all the struggle and striving to get it right, God has done. Trying to be a good person, it's been accomplished. God covers you with grace, makes you perfect and acceptable in his sight. And now God gives you new life, changing our hearts. His grace and love call people from their lives of striving and transform them into followers of Jesus Christ. This new life is because of what Christ has done. This new life means that we don't have to follow the old ways, the rules and regulations that were supposed to make us better. Those could be left behind. The weight of trying to always get it right, that weight was lifted. To realize that you are loved so much that all that you had done in the past, any poor decisions, problematic habits, all of that is set aside and you are loved and accepted by God. Have you ever seen those commercials where like the service person is coming home after a deployment? That overwhelming emotion of being together again, of being welcomed home. Or maybe you've seen a show where they, they tell the story of siblings that were separated earlier in life, maybe because of war or famine, and they finally found each other. That deep longing in their hearts has been met when we find acceptance and peace, when we are welcomed home by our holy God, everything that came before is washed away. This is the type of grace and love that has touched so many of the people in Corinth. As Paul proclaimed, as Paul left and went on to other ministries, they proclaimed this message, this type of love and acceptance this type of homecoming. People came to believe. You and I, we, we know that grace, that love, that type of homecoming. And we want other people, 
We want to be around other people who know this type of homecoming. We want to live life differently because of God's love for us. And we want to share this experience with others. And we do not want to go back. This will look differently for different people. If we jump back into the community with our first century sister church in Corinth, if you were once a member at one of these temples, you might not want to go back. Rather than Friday night ritual, you were going to gather with some of your Christian friends. Rather than the ceremonial personal preparation that you once did before going to temple, now you would spend time in conversation with God, in prayer and reflection, thanking him for his grace and love, and seeking guidance and direction in this new life. Rather than indulging the fleeting desires of your former life through food or drink or other things, they would seek to invest in community, in serving others, in worshiping God. Some of the people in this church in Corinth once worshiped at the temples. And though their actions and attitudes of their former life were washed away by God, the lure of the familiar tugs. All that, that they used to do, that, that pattern, those habits, they, they can be a comfort. Have you ever done that? You've decided you're not going to do something. You want to change a habit. You are not going to mindlessly... I'll be clear, I am not going to mindlessly scroll through Facebook because it steals my time. So I've decided I'm not going to do this, right? Have you ever done something like that? You've decided you're going to have a new habit, you're going to try a new thing, right? And then you find yourself bored somewhere. And you wonder, I can't hurt, right? I'm bored, right? The comfort of that habit, the, the lure of the familiar, it's it can tug at you. This is the type of tension, the reality within the church in Corinth. And this is where Paul uses this specific example to point to a foundational teaching. So we're going to review the text with a little bit more information. Starting back with 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul refocuses the conversation. He's going to now talk about this topic of eating food sacrificed to idols. Before they get into it, though, he wants everyone to check their footing. Right? We're going to make sure that we're all on the same page. First, Paul says, I know as Corinthians that you think, you know, everyone possesses knowledge. That is true. But the pursuit of knowledge puffs up. It can make us prideful in our own ability. Knowledge can be used as a club or to put others in their place. But love, love, on the other hand, builds up. Love can create a community. Love provides a space to encourage one another, to be gracious to one another. And Paul goes on. Those who think they know something 
do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. I know. The phrasing of verses 2 and 3 is confusing. To help, imagine me at 15. I knew everything. Oh, it was glorious. It was. It was odd, though, why other people just didn't agree with me because I knew all things. Come on. Was I the only teenager in the history of the world who had this particular experience? So to my 15-year-old self, to the one who thinks they know all things, Paul says, you might not be as brilliant as you think. You have not yet arrived. You might be overestimating your brilliance. So if wisdom isn't the silver bullet, if I can't know everything, if, if knowing stuff doesn't make my faith easy, then what is it? Paul's going to say it's not knowing stuff, it is the love of God. Those who lead with love, the same love and grace that we receive from God, those who wrap their knowledge in the love of God, those who root their actions in a consideration for their brothers and sisters, this is the heart of God. So that's the first place we're going to set our feet. Paul wants to say to the church in Corinth, this is our foundation. Now, about these idols. For those who believe in God, we proclaim there is only one God. We've talked about this before, right? The reality that we live in the midst of is that we belong to God, and there is no God but God. So the people in Corinth, they understood and accepted this. All of the creations of our human hands, the idols that claimed people's times and affection, the people and ideas that they would pledge their loyalty to, all of those hold no true power. It's ultimately meaningless because there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Paul is like rehearsing the confession with them. This is their creed. This is that foundation. Again, we see the tension between the truth of the situation and the overarching situation of our everyday. Though we might all know that there is but one God in our everyday, some people struggle. Struggle with those habits and comforts of a former life. For some, food sacrifice to idols didn't bother their conscience or burden their heart. Wasn't a thing. But for others, it's like, um, like an echo of the past. An echo of something left behind. Because food does not bring us near to God, Paul's encouragement is, skip it. Abstain. 
choose something else. Food does not bring us near to God, Paul says. We are no worse if we do not eat it and no better if we do. Though we don't see it here, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, Paul is clear that not everything falls into this gray area. Right? Food does not bring us closer to God, Paul says, and it doesn't harm our relationship with God. It's kind of a non-issue in the kingdom of God. But not everything is like that. There are things that are out of bounds, activities that hurt the believer or the community in such a way that they are never acceptable. And if you'd like a quick reference, you can start with the Ten Commandments. There are things that don't fall into this category. But for the things that do fall into this gray area, Paul has guidance. In verse 9, he says, Be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Be mindful of how your actions and attitudes impact the people around you. We can find this in other places in the Bible. To the church in Rome, Paul put it this way, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. This guidance isn't prohibition against offending someone else, right? We'll be in conversation with each other. We might disagree. That's okay. We can continue to have conversation. This is prohibition against causing someone else to stumble, to sin, to turn back to old harmful habits. For example, say you have a friend who needs to make wise food choices for whatever reason. You do not invite them out to a late night dessert at the Cheesecake Factory, right? That is not a way to come alongside and encourage them. If you have a friend who struggles with alcohol addiction, maybe they're in recovery, and you want to get together for drinks after work, where do you go? You go to the coffee bar, not the bar. And you're happy to do that because you'd never want to be the cause for as much as it depends on you. You never want to be the cause that they might stumble. You do this because you'd rather spend time with them than gratify your own desires. You put their needs first. And in doing that, you get the greater gift of community and relationship. Paul is asking the same thing of the people in Corinth. That same type of consideration within the church when you know your actions will cause someone else to stumble, if your weaker brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge, your actions, then your sin is against God. God wants to be clear with his children that we are to matter to one another. 
And so there's probably a host of examples from that first century church. But I think we understand, for as much as it depends on me, if I know a brother or sister in the church is struggling with something, Paul says, I'm called to come alongside, not trip them along the way. Paul's teaching the church in Corinth that same thing. If, if you know that a brother or sister in the church is struggling with something, then do everything that you can to encourage and protect. And don't set something in their way. So in the church of Corinth, it's that tension. If, if a new believer, say his name is Fred, if, if he's recently left that community of temple worship and he is now in the community of the church and he's trying to figure out this, this crazy Christian group, they, they say that God loves us. But at the temple, I had to kind of work it out. It was like a, like a payment system. When I did something wrong, I just kind of, I did some right things, right? And it balanced out. And that made sense. But now these Christians, they say that I'm loved first, that I don't owe God anything. But then Fred sees his new Christian brother headed off with his neighbor to eat a meal at the temple. Fred knows those steaks are tasty. Why is it that barbecue always tastes better when somebody else makes it? Why is that? And it's the same conflict there, right? Fred knows that community, but he has chosen and been chosen by God a new way. So Paul says, if your actions are going to cause Fred to stumble, then don't do that. When you do this, when you cause a brother or sister to stumble, you sin. You put yourself before the sister or brother in Christ, and that breaks God's heart. So you can eat what you like, Paul says. But your downfall is in putting yourself above someone else and causing them to question their faith, to fall back into harmful habits. And then in verse 13, in true Pauline fashion, he, I can imagine, right, because he's writing a letter, I'm imagining this is all in caps, right? Because he really, it's very dramatic. He wants to make a point, and here is his point. Paul says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. If your actions may cause a brother or sister in faith to fall, then skip it. This week we find ourselves with a situation that is not immediately transferable, right, to our modern daily lives. We don't regularly have to answer that question for ourselves about food sacrificed to idols. But do you feel like you have a better grasp of this difficulty in the first century church as they tried to figure out this very common occurrence what does this mean for them 
This was a part of their everyday. And, and Paul reminds them that they were set apart for grace by God. And therefore, they are called to live by grace for God. Now, we've stood at the edge of this ancient church community and learned a little bit about what their lives were like, the decisions they faced each day, and we've heard God's word through Paul. We've been reminded that our actions should be rooted in love. And we've heard anew that we live our lives of faith as we live our lives of faith, we are to be mindful that our actions not become a stumbling block for our sisters and brothers. There are so many easy parallels between the church in Corinth and our lives today. For example, because we know God's grace, because we know the deep truth of God's love for us, it makes sense to show other people that same grace, especially when it's easy to see how our actions might be harmful to someone else. It's easy to pick a new way. We've mentioned a few already, friends struggling with alcohol. We are happy to create a space where we go without so that they can be included. A friend of mine found out later in life that she was gluten intolerant. And so now when we get together, I love researching things that we can all eat. Things like easy substitutions and, for example, did you know, I didn't realize when I wrote this how often I talk about cheesecake, but did you know cheesecake is gluten-free? I know, you can just skip the crust and have that gooey, wonderful, cheesecakey goodness. I think I'm slightly hungry. Yeah and a little distracted. What were we talking about? Right, our diet of grace. When we go without to show grace to someone else, when we go without because we know it's a healthier option for our sisters or brothers in Christ, for our community, for our relationships. And I have to admit, sometimes that's an easy thing. To go without for the sake of a friend and sometimes it is not. Sometimes it's effort and time and energy we do not immediately have. So what, it, what, must, what might it look like to walk alongside, to be in a community with someone, and to choose to put yourselves second for their sake? How do we be rooted in love, not letting our actions or attitudes create a stumbling block for our brothers or sisters in Christ. Maybe it means that when a friend decides to take a social media break, to step away for a while, we don't second guess or try to reason with them. Instead, we come alongside. And when we take that great picture and post it, that we take another moment and send it to them via text so that they can be a part of it without having to compromise something that they need to do for now. Maybe it means reaching out to a friend who's decided to take a break from a video game. You're, you usually catch up with them online, right, as you're busy scheming and plotting and preparing for the next whatever but they've stepped away for a while. So what do you do 
instead of cajoling them and questioning them, maybe you invite them to share a meal because you'd usually hang out with them every week for hours. Now you miss them. So you make the effort to get together. It strikes me that most of my examples are dealing with consuming digital media. That might be our modern day incarnation of this question of eating meat sacrificed to idols. Paul said, food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it and no better if we do. So too with all of our current digital options. If participating in social media and online games and binge-watching news, I see you cable news junkies out there, or binge-watching those reality shows or murder mysteries, whatever it is, if all of that does not shake your faith or harm your relationships, then be wise and carry on. If, if however, your current diet causes you to stumble, to participate in activities that will harm you or lead someone else astray, then we are called upon to curb our appetite, to choose grace for our neighbor over fulfilling our own desires. My challenge for you in the week ahead is twofold. First, I encourage you to continue to lean into that reality that you belong to God. That God's forgiveness and grace are abundant. That that grace seeps into every aspect of your lives. As you lean into that reality, as you continue to experience that grace, look for ways that you can show this grace to someone else. Watch for an opportunity to come alongside. See if there's a way that you can encourage and protect, love and show grace to a brother or sister in Christ. And don't be surprised if someone does the same for you. One of the great things about being a part of this community of faith is that sometimes we are the ones with the strong conscience, right? Whatever it is doesn't bother us, but sometimes we are the weaker one. And we need a brother or sister to come alongside and encourage to make a way for us. Being a part of this community in person and online gives us an opportunity to practice to figure out what it looks like to follow God, to not be so worried about getting it wrong, to to know that the mess is a part of it, and we can remind one another that God meets us in those moments that are messy, that he greets us with grace and love, forgiveness and peace. And for this we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, there's so much. The laundry list of ways that that we might choose the world over choosing you is long. And and our desire to be with our neighbor, to encourage and protect them, that, 
that rings loudly in our ears. Lord, in those places where that seems heavy to us, I pray that you would remind us that it's not about getting it right, that you love us first. So let our actions be an outgrowth of that love. I pray, Lord, in the week to come that you would give us visual reminders of your presence in our lives, that you would, that you would give us a sense of your holy presence, not as a test, but as encouragement. And when we come together again, Lord, let us, let us share those moments of grace, those God sightings with one another. Help give us grace to share with others as we seek to come alongside. Help us to learn to love one another well. And in all things, Father God, teach us your grace and your peace. Amen.